Hey Timberline, so we are getting ready to do the message portion of this video, uh, but before we start, I just want to say something. I love the technology that we have. I love that we can do this on video right now, um, but I want to tell you that this video and meeting online is definitely no substitute for the real church. Um, I got to tell you, I, I miss not being with you. Uh, this week was, re was weird and strange. Um, so I long for that time we get back together. I long for, many of you, you swing by the office a lot. I long for the Monday night Bible studies, the Wednesday nights, the Tuesday things, uh, Sundays when we get together. And so I want to encourage you, um, let us be praying for that time that we're able to join back together quickly. Uh, while this is good, um, it, does de it definitely does not um, replace that gathering that we have because by the blood of Christ, he has made us a body. He's made us a family that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So my real hope is that this time apart causes us to long for that time more and really long for the return of Christ when he will return and we will all be together for all of eternity. All right, so that's kind of just my thing I wanted to put out there in the beginning. Um, we are going to now turn and we're going to do our final message in the book of James. Uh, for the last few uh, months, we've been preaching in the book of James, and so this is going to be our last sermon. We're going to recap the book. And so if you remember, one of the things that we've said is that James teaches us that real faith is visible faith, meaning that the way we live ought to give evidence to the fact that we are citizens of God's kingdom, that we are Christians. Just as you don't turn on a lamp and then put it in a closet, so we have not been saved by grace that we become invisible. And James is crystal clear on this. In chapter 2, verse 17, he says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So remember, when our faith is visible, God's kingdom is visible. So what does that mean? That means that when we, that when the world sees the church, they're seeing a people who've been saved by grace, who enjoy and live under the rule of God. When we, when we live out our faith, we're showing the world our true citizenship in heaven. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we are ambassadors here on earth for Christ. And our purpose here is to proclaim the rule of our God and King Jesus Christ. So how do we do this? That's what the book of James is all about. That's what we've been studying about. James is writing to a people who have been persecuted, who have experienced pain, who have experienced hardship, who are being tempted to blend into society. And so like a wise and gentle shepherd, James is coming along the church to encourage them and instruct them how to live. Uh, he's going to cover many topics like how do we endure trials with joy and patience? How do we treat one another with love and mercy? How is it that we're to use our tongue? How do we, how do we make plans? How do we respond to sickness and many other areas of our life as well? Now, I just want you to think how practical this book is right now in light of everything that's happening in our world with this coronavirus. We've been studying the book of James for months on how we're to live out our faith. And now we're being given an incredible opportunity to show the world the hope, the love, and the joy that we have in Christ. So as we go through this sermon, I just want you to be thinking, what does it mean for us to live out our faith right now? So I want to pray, and then we're going to jump in. 
Father, you have saved us by your grace. You have given us your word and spirit. We would follow you and obey you. I pray for our church right now that you would strengthen each family and their knowledge and love for you. May we rest in your sovereign rule. Give us wisdom right now that we would joyfully and patiently endure this trial that we're in, knowing that you're working, working in it and accomplishing all things for your purpose. As we look at your word this morning, Lord, I pray that you would spur us on to do good works. I pray that our faith would be visible. I pray that as the coronavirus wreaks havoc all over the world, may we as Christians live boldly. May we live and display our faith in how we speak and in how we act. May we not be invisible. May we not be silent. But may we shine brightly with the hope that we have that Jesus, you are our King and our Lord and our Savior. And we long for the day that you will return. And Father, we know that in all of this, you are accomplishing your purposes. So may we trust in you. May our souls rest in your sovereignty right now. In your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to begin by showing how the Bible teaches that God is the ruler of all creation. In Genesis chapter 1, we see that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. With God's mere words, he speaks all of creation into existence. And then at the end of chapter 1, we see that he makes man in his image. Man is the vice regent of all creation. He is under the authority of God to enjoy God's rule. And as he lives within the garden, he is called to, to expand that garden, to make it spread throughout the whole world. And he is to multiply so eventually the whole world would be full of image bearers of God who are worshiping God and enjoying his rule. But what we know is that in Genesis 3, rather than obeying God, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. They rejected his rule. They said, we don't want to obey you. They took the fruit that they were not supposed to. And because of that, they were removed from the garden, the presence of God, the, the kingdom of God, and they suffered the judgment of death. And because we, because you and I, we all come from Adam and Eve, the Bible says that we too are sinful, and therefore we have also fallen short of the glory of God, and we also are under God's wrath. And so what is it that God did at that moment? What does God do when man has rejected him? Well, what we see in Genesis chapter 12, through a man named Abraham, God begins to form a people who will once again dwell in his presence. And from Abraham, we go to Isaac. From Isaac, we go to Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, where we get the whole people of Israel. And eventually, God will give his people, Israel, his law. He will write it on tablets for them that they would, that they would know his rule and that they would live and obey, uh, and obey him. But even as we go through the Old Testament, we see that eventually Israel, they do not follow God. They also rebel against God. They also reject God. And so God eventually will bring uh, Babylon and Assyria to conquer Israel, to conquer his people, and they will be carried off in exile. And we're once again reminded of what happened in the Eden. It happened in the garden. That man has rejected God and therefore is removed from his presence. And what we see is Israel has rejected God and therefore they are spread out among other nations. But hope is not done. God's plans have not been thwarted. All throughout the Old Testament, we see these 
these, uh, prof these prophecies regarding a king. And when we're in the Old Testament uh, pro prophetic books, there's all these prophecies about a king who will come and rule in righteousness and justice, who will never, whose rule will never end. And who is that king? Well, we know who he is. It's Jesus Christ. In fact, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus enters and he says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus, the Son of God, who is, is the one who has come to establish God's rule on earth, that he would have a people who would be God's own possession and would dwell with God for all of eternity. And so how does that happen? How does Jesus accomplish this? Well, he does it by going to the cross. It's at the cross Jesus dies so that you and I, by belief in him, could be forgiven. Jesus goes and stands in your place and in my place so that he would absorb the wrath of God that you and I should have absorbed. But he does it so that by our faith in him, we would have peace, forgiveness. We'd be adopted into his family. We'd be made citizens of the kingdom of God. And as Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered sin, death, and Satan. And then if we fast forward to the end of the book, all the way to Revelation, Revelation begins in chapter 1 with this amazing picture of Jesus as a king, ruling over all creation, and he's encouraging and strengthening his churches as we await for his return. Now you might be saying in this moment, I thought this was supposed to be a James recap, how does this fit? Well, James is speaking to the church as we wait for the return of Jesus. We're waiting for our king to return where he will make all things new, a new creation, and we will then live in his presence for all of eternity. And so just as James is writing to the church that they would endure and that they would live faithful lives, so he is also writing the same to us. So I want us to, I want us to begin by looking at James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Uh, in this text... James is describing what we could say the normal Christian life. It's, it's how you and I are supposed to live every single day. And so if you have your Bibles, I actually, I want to encourage you to stand right now. This is something we do at Timberline. Uh, and I think, I think it's a good reminder that the word that we have, this word, the Bible, comes to us inspired by God with his full authority, with the purpose of equipping and training us. So let us stand in remembrance of that as we read James 4, 7 through 10. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Notice Notice how that passage begins and how it ends. It begins with submit to God. It ends with humble yourselves before the Lord. The entire Christian life is about submitting to the rule of God. In fact, if you look at everything in between, it's, it's what it looks like to live in submission and humility before God. Uh, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Why will we resist Satan? Because he's opposed to God's kingdom. We don't want to support or be a part of anything that opposes the rule of our God, of our King Jesus. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Why would we do that? 
because he's calling us to repent there. If there's anything that we do that does not bring honor and glory to God, he's calling us to repent of those things, to not take part of those things. He's wanting us to live in accordance with our citizenship in a way that would honor our King Jesus. He says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, he's not calling us to be sad, but he's saying when we realize that we have sinned, when we realize that we have done things that have offended our king, that did not glorify our king, we should mourn, we should weep over those things. Because you see, Jesus has saved us, placed his spirit in us, that our heart's desire is to now serve Jesus in everything that we do. So this is what James is about. James is about helping us learn how we live a life in submission and humility to God. Now just think about this. Think about uh, the way that we shop. Think about the way that we interact with technology, the way we eat, the way we speak with another, the way we treat others, the way we endure persecution and trials, the way we respond to COVID-19, the way we understand anger, the way we make plans, all of those things are to be brought into submission under God, that the way we do them would be a way in which we would honor God, which we would glorify Jesus. So how? How do we do that? How do we know what it looks like to live a life of faith? How do we know what it looks like to live a life in submission and humility to God? It's through His Word. It's through the Bible. This is what 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 says. It tells us that God has given us his word, that he has breathed it out, that it would correct us, that it would rebuke us, that it would train us and teach us so we would be equipped to rightly live for God in all things. That's the purpose of God's word. See, as Christians, the Bible is our guide. It's our spiritual food. It's not only the means in which God uses to save us, it's the means in which he continues to grow us in our faith, to grow us in our understanding of God, that we would live like him, that we would love him, and we would love others as he has loved us. This is why it's important to study our Bibles. This is why we, we have our time like this where we read the Bible together and we study it. This is why we do Bible studies in table groups. This is why we encourage you to have personal time with God in the Word every day that we would grow in our knowledge and understanding of God, that we would know how to live. Now look over at James 1.22. In James 1.22, we read probably one of the most important verses in this book. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. As we just said, God's word is the means in which he uses to grow us in our faith, to strengthen us, that we would live a life that honors him, that glorifies him. But James warns us that there's a way that we can read our Bibles the wrong way. And he says, if you're reading your Bibles and you're not obeying it, if you just read it, you close it, or if you just ignore the Bible and you're not applying it to your life and engaging with it, then he says you're deceiving yourselves. So what does that mean that you're deceiving yourselves? Well, to be straight with you, he's saying that you're not a believer. Now, he's not saying we perfectly obey God's word, but he's saying as one who has been saved by the grace of God, who the spirit now dwells within, that we'd be conformed to the image of Jesus. We now love the word. We're to read the word. And so if we do not read and obey, he's saying you're deceiving yourselves. 
We see this all in chapter 2. I read chapter 2, verse 17 earlier, but I'll read it again. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James chapter 2, verse 20 says, Faith apart from works, works is useless. And James 2, 26 says, Faith apart from works is dead. The whole thing about James is that real faith is meant to be visible faith. Real faith produces works. We're not saved by our works. Our works do not merit God's favor that he would then save us. But our works is the very evidence of our faith in Jesus. And one of the ways that we know how to live a life of obedience to God, one of the ways that we live in submission to God, is through His Word. And so let me ask you, what does that look like for you right now? How are you currently coming into God's Word each and every day. What does that look like? Does the way you come and feast upon God's Word show a humble and submissive heart to God? I want you to wrestle with that. Our willingness to read and obey reveals our humility and submission to God. Now, the Word of God, let me, let me say this, it doesn't necessarily address every specific situation like if you go to the index and you're not going to find a section that says uh covid 19 coronavirus what is it that we do here but rather what god's word does is it conforms us into the image of god that we would be a people that know how to respond to every situation in a way that would honor god in a way that would reveal our true citizenship in heaven so, the world right now, it's in a pandemic. And, and we know that corona is, is spreading, but there's another virus that's spreading also. It's fear. Right now, there is fear that is spreading throughout America, throughout many countries. People are running to the stores, hoarding up on everything, afraid of what's going to happen, not only, uh, not only with food, but recession-wise and depression coming. So, what is it that the world needs the world needs to experience the hope of Jesus Christ. The world needs to experience the hope of the one who conquered sin, death, and Satan, who now reigns on high. The world needs to see Christians who are not panicking. It's not that we're not taking the situation seriously, but we're not anxious. But we have joy. We have peace. We have patience at this time. We have the comfort of, of the fact that our God rules on high and that His plans are being carried out perfectly right now. The world needs to understand the very rule of God. And so how, how do we do that? Well, we, we do that. We, we, show the world the, we show the world the rule of God through the very way in which we live out our obedience to God. Uh, and so how do, we, how do we prepare for that day? How do we prepare to show the world the rule of God? Well, it's by coming into His Word each and every day. It's by submitting to this Word and reading it. And it's reading texts like this in Revelation 5, verse 11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain 
to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The way we show the world the rule of God is first you and I coming and just feasting upon God's word each and every day that we would love his rule, that we would embrace his rule, that we'd be conformed to the image of Christ, that we would show his rule in everything that we do. You know, in our sin, we want the world to revolve around us. But you know, it's funny, when we get saved by grace, we see how foolish that actually looks. I mean, think about it. Right now, because of the coronavirus, we are seeing how weak we really are. We're seeing how finite we really are. We're seeing that we are a frantic people. I mean, we can send people to the moon. We can accomplish things uh, and check off all the boxes on our to-do list each day. But a virus that we cannot even see is quarantining nations right now. We are not powerful. We are not in ourselves all powerful. This world shows that time and time again. But as we see that we are not the Bible is here to guide us and show us who is. That our God and Jesus Christ, our King, rules on high right now. So I want to give just a few things that we can do as we live out our faith. Number one, we need to learn the Bible. If we're going to shine forth as lights in this world, it will only be as we come into this world each and every day. Listen, husbands, dads, wives, mothers... Children, what your family needs most, what your neighbors need most of you, from you, is you spending time in the Word each day. Above anything else, that's what they need first from you. That as you are full of God's grace and His mercy, that then you are prepared to love others. Then you are prepared to show the rule and love of Christ to all whom you encounter. So I want to encourage you, feast upon God's Word. It's in God's word that we behold our God. It's in God's word that we see that he is mighty and powerful. And remember, in chapter uh, 1, verse 17, we see that God, with God, there's no variation within him, meaning he never changes. It's in God's word that we see our God is immutable. That means he never changes. So our God is perfect. We never have to worry about him changing as if he needed to improve or if he would get worse. Because he is perfect and he is righteous in everything that he says and everything that he does. And so we can trust in him fully. Second, we need to live out our hope in Jesus. We do not have a spirit of fear. But God has given us his spirit that we would display love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We, we are to be a people who, when we go into trials, just as James 1 verse 2 says, we count it all joy. Why? Because we know that God uses trials in order that we would grow and become more like him. We need to be patient in trials. Why? Because in chapter 5 of James, we see that he uses the word patience four times to describe how the church is supposed to respond to the, to the suffering that they have, that they have experienced. 
And what do they need to be patient for? For the fact that Jesus is going to return. You see, the reason that we do not need to be an anxious people is because we know this world is not the end game. We know that this world is not, is not it. But one day Christ will return and make all things new. And remember in the Beatitudes, those who, those who are poor in spirit are blessed. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God gives us the world. In Revelation chapter 3, we see that we who believe in Jesus will one day sit on the throne with him. We do not need to be anxious about the things of this world. We have a God who promises us by his grace he will meet our needs and take care of us. And so let us display that joy and that peace that we have at this time. And let us love others. This is an incredible time to love our neighbors. I want to encourage you. Go to your neighbors. Ask them, what do you need? Share your resources with them. And especially if you have some elderly neighbors who are possibly saying, I, I don't think we should get out. And that's probably safe for them not to. Ask them what we can buy for them. Ask them what, what are those groceries? What are their needs? Ask them if you can pray for them. I encourage you, if you're at work, ask people, how are you doing right now? How are you responding to this coronavirus? And then as they share, then share with them the hope and the love and the joy that we have as Christians. But let us love others. Let us serve them at this time. And let us be a light. Let us be a light in everything that we do. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14, the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And in verse 16, he says this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's come to God's word each day. And let's pray that as we put down the word and we go forth, say, God, help me to be a light. Help me to apply this word now into my life, that I would love my family well, I love my neighbors well, I love my co-workers well, that I would respond to whatever comes our way in a way that would honor you, in a way that would glorify our King. We're the light of the world because Christ has saved us. Let us now live in light of our faith. Let our faith be visible. Let me pray. Our Father, Father, we praise you that you have saved us by your grace. We praise you that you have saved us, adopted us in your family, and made us citizens of your kingdom. God, you have promised that the work you began in us, you will complete. You promised us that you are coming back. You have promised us that one day this world will just burn and be kind of rolled up and you will make everything new. Lord, I pray that my hope, I pray that our church's hope is in you. And being able to spend all of eternity with you in your presence. And so, Father, I pray as we go out in the midst of this coronavirus and, and, and the culture that we're in right now, may we be a people not characterized by fear, but of comfort, of love, of joy, of patience. And may we shine brightly for your kingdom now. In your name, Jesus. Amen.